Well, uh, as we get started here, as you just heard, we are going to be uh, talking this morning about honoring your parents. There we go. Honoring uh, your parents. And as I look back on my own family, I realize I'm not sure how great a job I really did at this when I was growing up. I mean, I definitely worked hard to obey them, as long as they were watching, of course. (laughs) That's key, right? Obey as long as they're watching, because you don't want to get in trouble. And for the most part, then, I was a pretty good kid, at least externally, on the surface, when my parents were watching. But nobody ever talked to me about honoring my parents. We were simply expected to obey, and if we didn't, then, of course, there would be all kinds of consequences. The Bible, however, casts a much deeper and richer vision for the parent-child relationship that we're going to talk about this morning. And children are called to honor their parents, to hold them in high esteem, to think and to speak well of them, to look for ways to bless them, to care for them in their old age, to love them, to cherish them, and yes, sometimes to obey them. And yet God says this is all for our own good as children, as we just heard in Ephesians, that it may go well for you. Honoring your parents brings joy to them, but it also brings life to you. It's not meant to be a burden, but a gift, something meant to draw families together as God grows and expands his kingdom here on earth. So this morning we're going to look at at three easy ways in which you all, as children, can honor your parents. Now the first way that you can honor your parents is with your actions, is with your actions. Now obviously actions aren't everything, and we're going to get, get into some of the nuances of of everything that is involved in honoring your parents in the rest of the sermon, but, but straight up obedience to your parents is foundational. So we're going to talk about this first. As you see here in Ephesians 6.1, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All right, kids, I want you to listen up here, because sometimes the Bible can be complicated and our sermons can be long-winded. I don't want you to miss this point, all right? So let me break this down for you. Here's what Paul means. Children, obey your parents, okay? I want to give you time to write that down on your, in your notes. Your parents paid me to stand up here and say this. Look, it really is that simple. If your parents tell you to stop doing something like Don't run out into the street, or don't put that in your mouth, or turn off the TV, then don't do it. Stop what you're doing. Similarly, if your parents ask you to do something, like put away your toys, put away your clothes, clean up the room, help put away the dishes, then do it. That's what you should be able to do. Obedience should be your default position, your starting position, your, your automatic response, okay, not to ignore or 
to question or, oh, this is a perfect time to get into a wonderful debate with my parents about, about everything that's involved with doing kitchen chores or duties. No, the first thing, the default position to be, uh, should be to obey. You do first, ask questions later. Now, obviously, as a caveat, Paul does not have in mind uh, abusive or, or even criminal or violent parents in mind here, right? The Bible is not meant to be used as a, as a, as a weapon against children to enforce total compliance. Christian homes, of course, should be filled with tenderness and, and compassion. Parents should be working to create an atmosphere of, uh, of, of where children can flourish, a nurturing place where their gifts and abilities can grow and develop. And in such a place, verbal, spiritual, and physical abuse is the absolute opposite of a nurturing environment. So Paul's not trying to excuse any kind of authoritarian parenting style. In fact, just look at Ephesians 6.4. He's going to say, just a few verses later, Father, don't provoke your children to anger. However, without obedience, the family unit will fall apart. A family's not designed to be a democracy. Okay, when you're younger, you don't get an equal vote in all the family decisions. You don't get to question everything. Many things will seem unfair, and you probably won't understand everything, because honestly, you can't. Think about it. Even the sharpest 10-year-old is still only 10 years old. Like, your parents have been alive for three, maybe even four times as long as you have been. They know things that you can't possibly know. And in fact, things you probably don't even need to know. One of the blessings of being a kid is that much of your life is just taken care of for you. You don't have the same cares and worries and stresses that your parents do. So instead of resisting that, you can rest in that, enjoy it. Because there's going to be plenty of time down the road video embrace all those responsibilities and stresses that come with them. In the meantime, your default position should be obedience. Act first and then ask questions later. Why? Right? That's, the, that's what every kid like, well, why? Why should I do this? Well, at the time Paul was writing, this kind of obedience was actually the norm in the entire culture, not just for Jewish families, but for all families. That's what Paul says here when he says, look, you should do this for this is right. Obedience is not something that's unique just to people who believe the Bible. This is the way that God has designed the entire world to work best. And of course, Paul's going to push beyond just a, a, a mere appeal to natural law, but it's instructive to note that this is a universal law that applies to everyone, everywhere. Children should obey their parents first because it's the right thing to do. Now, having said that, obeying our parents, it's hard, right? It's not always easy. I already sh shared with you I struggled to do this when I was a kid. And when we don't obey our parents, I think it often displays a lack of trust. 
Think about it. Who, who were the first people to disobey? Right? Adam and Eve, the first children to disobey their parents were Adam and Eve. We don't usually think of them as children with, with parents, right, plural, but the Bible is clear that God was their heavenly Father. He brought them into this world. He set them in the garden. He gave them work to do and clear instructions. Do this, don't do that. Except obedience eluded them, right? They didn't trust God's goodness. They questioned his purposes. They were convinced that they knew best. And so they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and were sent out of the garden as a result. And that pattern of distrust and, and pride and rebellion has then persisted down through the generations. So why does Paul tell children to obey? Because he sees this pattern. But real, true faith in Christ is reflected by obedience in the home. If you can be polite and respectful when you visit someone else's house, when you visit our house, as so many of you have, then you should be able to observe the same manners and actions in your own homes as well. Now think of Jesus. Luke uh, 2.51 tells us that he went down with them after they found him in the temple in Jerusalem. He went down with them, his parents, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus, the Lord of lords, King of kings, was nevertheless submissive and obedient to his parents as a child. Now, is there a time limit on this command? Meaning, are all children meant to obey all parents always, whatever their respective ages? Well, I don't think that's the intention at all. Remember, obedience is really only one aspect of honoring your parents. And so, just as parenting styles are going to change as, as, you get, as your kids get older, so too does the way in which you show honor with your actions. So, for example, parents, when your children are little, no is going to be a very common word in your household, right? Right? Saying no to them as they go to stick a fork in the outlet, or saying no to them as they go to push a sibling off the couch, or uh, saying no to them as they try to climb up the back of a chair that's going to tip over. And then them saying no to you, right? Displaying all that built-in defiance which comes delightfully pre-packaged at birth. No extra cost for your pleasure. But as your children get older, right, the communication style should also change as well. So while we expect obedience, we can start to look for uh, that can start to look and sound a lot different. So, for example, if you treat a teenager in the same way that you treat a five-year-old, you're going to end up with all kinds of problems. Simply saying no to them is not going to lead to the right kind of outcomes that you're looking for. You cannot and probably should not be attempting to micromanage every aspect of their lives in the same way as you did and is appropriate to do when your kids are four, five, six, seven years old. It's because your role has shifted, right, from being 
a rule enforcer to more of a, as they get older and older, more of like a coach or a mentor. It's also why parenting gets exponentially harder and harder as your kids get older. It's like a whoop, and you talk to parents who have teenagers or college-age kids and like, I wish I had a baby. That would be so much easier. And so uh, parents, instead of just saying no to everything, like, no, you can't go to the movies, or no, you can't listen to that music, a better response might be something like, maybe it's better to just say, well, be careful when you go to the movies, or be careful when you're listening to that kind of music. And then explaining to them your, your concerns and helping walk them through the process of how they may respond in the different situations that are going to come up before them. Because remember, your job shifts. It's no longer to control behavior. You're trying to train your children to go out into the world to make these decisions for themselves. They're going to leave the home and you want them to flourish in their own homes, and in their own families, and you have to train them to do that. Because one time, eventually, the roles are going to change completely. That's the final thing I want to say about obedience. I believe that as an adult, you really no longer are required to obey, strictly obey your parents. Honor them, yes. Respect them, yes. But obedience, no. What does that look like? Well, you may no longer see eye to eye on absolutely everything, but you are still called to show them love and treat them with respect, to listen patiently, to extend grace, to be willing to forgive them and, and to ask for forgiveness yourself. And when the time comes, it means being ready and willing to support your parents financially, even if they need it. Right? Jesus condemns the Pharisees for failing to provide for their parents. Uh, Paul makes the same point in Timothy that, that uh, a, a very significant way to show honor to your parents is to provide for them materially, even if you no longer blindly obey everything they tell you to do. So first and foremost, honor your parents with your actions. But the second way that you can honor your parents is to honor them in your heart. Now, honor means many things in the Bible. But when it comes to our relationship with our parents, it's an attitude that ultimately begins in our hearts. Totally indebted here, thinking of this to, to Rob and Amy, for this particular point, because I think the first time I remember hearing them talk about the importance of honoring your parents with your hearts was at a visionary parenting event that it helped put into focus to clarify all these thoughts that we were wrestling with at home as we began to have children ourselves. So maybe you can all relate to this situation, right? You tell your kid to go upstairs and to clean their room, and after some amount of back and forth and complaining, said child then stomps off loudly up the stairs, muttering and grumbling under their breath, right? They heard what I just said about obeying their parents. So I'm point number one, and so now, they're, okay, fine, I'm going to obey my parents. Go off and do it. Now, they may dutifully clean their room, but the whole time harboring all kinds of grumpy, irritable thoughts about how unfair and difficult life is, right? And who can blame them? 
right? I mean, it is the worst having someone provide all your food, all your clothing, all your, health, all your uh, you know, home to live in, all your activities, everything provided for you. It's awful. <laughs> so kids, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands here, but, but have you been there before? Honestly? I know I have, because like when we were a kid, we had a huge lawn, like it felt like it was acres. It wasn't acres, but it felt like it every time I had to go out there to mow the lawn, right? And so I have vivid memories of being out there, pushing the lawnmower, stomping up and down. I'm fine. I'll show you. And the, of course I did because the grass got cut, but I was very bitter and angry about it. I don't think my parents cared at all about that. But um, now did I obey my parents? Yes, of course. I obeyed them in the sense of the, the lawn got mowed, right? The grass was cut. But did I honor them in any sense of that word? No. And in fact, not only did I not honor them, I was dishonoring them with my thoughts, right? As no sense of respect, no, no love, no desire to bless them or to serve them. Instead, what I enjoyed doing in the, that hour or however long it took to mow the lawn was stewing in my anger and my bitterness and my resentment and my self-pity, disrespecting them with my bad attitude. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has something to say about this. You've heard that it was said of, of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, right? Doing what your parents ask you to do, that's good. That's a good starting point. You should do that. And keeping your grumbling and complaining to yourself just for the sake of self-preservation, that's probably a good thing, right? But it's not enough. As with so much that comes with following Jesus, God is after your heart, right? Following Jesus necessitates acting differently, but it also means thinking and believing and feeling differently as well. That's what Jesus is getting at, right? He, he says the law says don't murder, but God's standard doesn't stop right there. Jesus pushes much deeper. He says even your anger makes you liable to judgment, now, I know your anger can be a hard emotion to control and even harder to understand at times. Like, sometimes I didn't even know why I was angry. And if you're supposed to honor your parents in your heart, like, how am I supposed to figure out what's even going on in my heart? Why am I feeling angry? Well, we turn to the book of James, and we get some helpful insight here in James chapter 4. He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James says here that it's often our desires which lead to quarrels and to fighting. In other words, when you don't get what you want, that's when you get angry. So why was I so mad about having to mow the lawn or do any of a number of other chores that my parents asked of me? Probably because what they were asking interfered with my desires. 
I just wanted to sit and watch TV. I just wanted to uh, sit down and read a book. I wanted to go out and ride my bike or play with my friends. And now what they were telling me to do interferes with that. They're at war with each other. The same was true when I got older. Their curfew when I was a teenager meant I couldn't stay out as late as I wanted to. Their rules about movies meant I couldn't watch everything that I wanted to. The problem was that my personal desires were constantly crashing up against the, the needs and the desires of the family as a whole. And bottom line, I just didn't like that. Now, nobody ever explained any of this to me when I was younger. I had no idea what was going on. All I knew was, if I do the chores, doesn't matter what's going on in my head or heart, uh, I won't get in trouble. But you have an opportunity to do things differently. And I want you to see that honoring your parents with your hearts means learning to serve and to submit to your family. And if you find yourself thinking, well, that's not fair. Well, that's what it means to be a Christian, right? Of any age, learning to say no to self. Kids, have you heard us talk in here about, you know, Jesus saying, well, you've got to take up your cross and follow me right? Maybe it sounds confusing. Like, I don't literally know what that means. Like, clearly he's not talking about picking up a cross. Well, it means, in this case, choosing to serve and to submit to your family from your heart. It, it means choosing to lay aside your needs and desires to serve others instead it means that when you get irritated or angry, stopping and asking yourself, why am I so mad right now? What is it that I want that I cannot have? A submission, I will let you know, even as an adult, it does not come easily. It does not come naturally to anyone. It's something we have to learn by doing. It's something that you have to choose to do. Even as kids, you have to learn to do this. It's a, a learned behavior, practiced over time. But the good news for all of us is that Jesus has not left us alone in this endeavor. Because I know it's hard. Having set us a perfect example of submission by dying on the cross himself, Jesus then gave us the Holy Spirit to help us, to empower us to live this new life. So we read in uh, Galatians 5, Paul draws this comparison between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. And he says, uh, the works of the flesh lead to things like enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. How often do we see these emotions come up in that parent-child relationship in our families. But then Paul says, all hope is not lost because we've been given the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit who dwells in you as a child of God, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. It's the Spirit who will bring out genuine love for your parents, who will bring out deep joy in serving your parents, 
the Spirit who will give you endless patience in navigating conflict with your parents, the Spirit who will bless you with kindness and goodness in communicating with your parents, the Spirit who will give you faithfulness to obey your parents and gentleness in caring for your parents. And finally, the Spirit who will give you, through His power, the self-control to learn to understand what's going on in your heart, to control your emotions in all of this. As Paul says, if you belong to Jesus, then the flesh that grumbles and complains and seeks its own way has been crucified. And instead, you now have new life in Christ and kids, I want you to hear this loud and clear. The Holy Spirit will help you to live differently now as a result. Well, the third and the final way you can honor your parents is with your words. You know, long before we uh, moved here to Illinois, we lived near Dakari's aunt and uncle uh, out in California, and they had horses and would occasionally let us go riding with them. And I remember this one time where we came up uh, over this, this slight rise, and there was this huge open field in front of us, and the horse saw this big open space and just took off, like 100 miles an hour is what it felt like. And I'm just holding on for dear life until somewhere halfway across the field, I got tossed off and ended up on the ground. Now, the problem was, there was a lot of problems there, but one of the problems was, uh, by the way, always wear a helmet. <laughs> Okay. Uh, the problem was I, I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> and so when the when <laughs> Jason's like, yeah, that's obvious. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. And so as soon as the, the horse took off, I kind of lost hold of the reins and I'm just like grabbing hold of anything like stable, like the saddle, the, the, the mane, anything that I could hold on to to avoid ending up on the ground. And as a result, I had no control over the horse, and the horse knew it. And when it comes to the power of our words, James uses that same image here, talking about the dangers inherent in letting our, our, our words, our tongues run loose and out of control, right? He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, bridle like, like a bit and a bridle, like the reins on a horse, if you can't do that, then this person's religion is worthless. So kind of paraphrasing, restating that for our context here, I might say something like this. If anyone thinks they are honoring their parents, but does not bridle, does not able to rein in their tongue, then such honoring is worthless. You see, you honor your parents with your obedience, with your actions, and you honor your parents with your heart, your thoughts and feelings and emotions, but you also honor your parents with your words, both in the way that you speak to your parents and also the ways in which you speak of or about your parents to other people. Now, it starts when... Kids are just learning to talk, right? So when your little baby starts talking and just says, water, you know, parents are usually like, oh, okay, say, please, please may I have some water, right? We're training them. 
But this is more than just teaching them manners, right? We know language shapes culture, and we're, we're trying to foster and create a culture of respect and reverence and honor in the home, and we do that with our words, with the things that we say. So kids, your parents are not your peers, right? God has placed them in a position of authority over you. Now, you may not always like that or appreciate that or even understand it, but in his divine wisdom, he chose this family, these parents at this moment in time to be the environment in which you are going to be raised in. And as long as you are living under their roof, you need to speak to them with and in a respectful manner. Because remember, it's not just the words, the actual words that are coming out of your mouth. It's the tone as well. For example, there's a world of difference between saying, okay, and okay, right? Like, do you hear that that sort of sarcastic mocking tone. The Bible has a, a word for, for that. Um, here, right, scoffer. A scoffer. Someone who turns their nose up at correction and thinks that they know best, right? Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So have you ever heard your parents say, don't take that tone with me? That's what they're picking up on, this thing, that, that arrogant, haughty, defiant, proud spirit that does not want to be corrected, that does not want to change course. Even when you're saying the right words, they can feel and sense that pride and that resentment and rebellion behind it. When you use, when you speak in that way, you are no longer honoring your parents. Even if you still go and change that outfit or, or text your friend and say, okay, fine, I can't come to the movies after all, or whatever it is, even if you do what they ask you to do, the tone undermines all of it. But it's not just the words that you say to your parents or the tone that you say, uh, use when you say it to them. You also honor or dishonor your parents in the way that you speak about them to other people. Right? Proverbs has so much to say about this. But just looking at Proverbs 23, listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. To despise someone is to speak about them with, in a contemptuous manner, to look down on them as sort of being useless or pathetic or worthless. And I don't know at exactly what age this becomes a temptation, usually somewhere around the teenage years, but it can become common to to trash talk your parents to other people, right? To your friends, like to look cool or because you're frustrated and you want to blow off steam. I I did this all the time as a teenager. You believe my parents did this and I'd be... Right? We all go through this phase when we're convinced that our parents are clueless and out of touch and out of date and they don't know what they're doing. Convinced that we have the worst, most oppressive 
parents ever in the history of humanity. And we want everyone to know about it. But the Bible is clear. Your father gave you life. You should listen to him, not look down on him. Your mother, likewise, sacrificed everything to bring you into this world. And you're going to despise her? Look on her with contempt? Doing so clearly violates the commandment of God to honor your parent. So as it says in, in Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. But I want to add one last comment about words, and this applies for adults especially. You know, I was talking with a woman recently who's a little further down the road of life than I am, just to be polite about it. But, but she said, look, the main way that children can honor their parents, their, their, their older parents, the main way that adult children can honor their parents is by communicating. Just please let us in on your life. Include us. Let us know what's going on. That's a tangible way that, to show respect and honor. And then her husband who was sitting next to her said, I said, look, as a grandparent, all I have left to offer this world is my story. Like I'm old, I, I don't work anymore, I don't, I don't have a business, I'm not producing in our society, I can't run as fast, my body's breaking down, but I have my story. And so a super easy way to honor and revere your grandparents is simply to speak to them, to include them in your life, to ask them to share their stories. They have so much wisdom to offer. And using your words in this way honors their life. It honors God's work in their lives. And it brings blessing to the generations. We're just kind of wrapping all of this up here. Honoring your parents, it doesn't come easily or naturally. I know there are deep wounds and pains that can take years to heal. Your parents will make mistakes. Okay? They are going to make mistakes. They're going to lose their cool. They're going to over, uh, overreact at times. They're going to overstep boundaries. But guess what, kids? You're going to make mistakes at times. You're going to lose your cool. You're going to overreact, and you're going to overstep all kinds of boundaries as you get older. In fact, paraphrasing Proverbs 14, for the only way to avoid all this mess and heartache in, in your lives is not to have any kids at all, okay? But of course, God loves kids, right? And he tells us, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So until Jesus comes back, we should probably just get used to this fact and roll up our sleeves and dig into the mess. And remember, whatever turbulence you encounter along this journey, as Paul says in Ephesians uh, 4, and I'm thinking here in the context specifically of that parent-child relationship in our families, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
My hope and my prayer is that you would all enjoy the lifelong blessing of a warm, loving relationship between parents and children. May God bless you and encourage you as you pursue this goal together. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the gift of your Spirit who enables us to live as as brothers and sisters, children and parents, as families together with any hope of peace and joy and kindness and gentleness is through your Spirit's work in our lives. And I pray, Lord, for peace in our homes this week as we attempt to honor our parents. In Jesus' name, amen.